Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Twin Cities Church. I know Deirdre already gave a welcome, but if you came in between that, you are welcome this morning. If you've got uh, little kiddos, too, here this morning, we do have childcare upstairs. It's just off to the left and up the stairs for babies through preschool as well. So that's an option. Otherwise, if you have been at a service recently, we are also very child-friendly in services. Uh, it is a lot of fun, actually, to kind of have little kids walk around and say hi to you throughout the service. I interacted quite a bit last week with one of your children through the service. It was fun. So anyway, it's a, it, feel, feel free. If you're at home and you are thinking about, you know, should I come to church with my kids, please do. You know, we, it's, it's more fun together as the family of God, um, and it is, that is a part of our expression. Well, this morning, as, as Deirdre mentioned, we are in the kind of tail end now of our series on race and justice with this emphasis on really what does that mean for us as a local church within these, these truths that we've really been confronted with. And for many of us, you know, I don't know how it's gone for you as you've watched or been a part of these discussions and this series. I mean, anytime you talk about race, anytime you talk about justice, I mean, it feels like, right, we're walking on eggshells or a minefield, whatever kind of way you want to put that, because it is, we are very confronted by a lot of different things. And it's been good for us to be confronted in a lot of those ways. If you think back even to last week to Justin Terrell, which I really appreciated, you know, there's been a couple of really key fundamental truths that have been apparent, that have really been made apparent to us that we really have to reconcile and do something with. The first big truth or the first big idea that we've got to come to some agreement on and be confronted by is just who God is. God is, our God that we worship and we serve is the God of the oppressed and the powerless, of those on the margins. That's how he identifies himself. Right? And we've looked throughout scripture. This isn't new to us. We've gone through the minor prophets. We've gone through the Old Testament before. I mean, God, over and over, when he wants to identify who he is to his people, he always identifies himself, not always, but almost always as the God of the oppressed. It, it's who he is. He willingly, overtly identifies himself that way. Right? If you just think about like how you identify yourself to some, someone when you talk to them, you, know, you, you, you give, there's a lot of things. Like I'm, 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 I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm this, I'm that. The thing you choose to give as your identity to that person indicates to you what you really hold as important to who you are, fundamental. So we should be confronted by that reality, that our God is the God of the oppressed, the marginalized, the powerless. That's how he chooses to identify himself. It's what God cares about. Ooh, right? We have to care about the things that God cares about. We have to be confronted by that. And then also, as Justin pointed out last week, there will be a day of judgment and justice. God is coming. Christ is coming. And there will be a day when there will be judgment against the unrighteous and the oppressors. It will all be made right. That should also cause us to react. If we really believe that our God cares for the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, and he's coming to rectify that, to deal with the oppressor, and to liberate the oppressed. Okay, 
what am I going to do? What side do I want to fall on on that day of judgment? Whose side do I want to labor on as that's coming? Right? If we really believe that that day of the Lord is coming, that he really is coming to bring judgment and to bring justice, that motivates. It motivates us and it causes us to really deal with these topics. We can't ignore it. Right? It's, it's easy to ignore, it's easy to try to ignore the realities of the injustices in our lives and around us, the way that people are treated. It's easy to kind of insulate ourselves, and we've done sermons over these things and series over these things as well. You know, George has done a great job looking at that from a social science perspective of how you know, we have removed ourselves from those who are in the most need so that we don't have to think about them very often. And we can only think of, we can see what's right around us But if God cares about those people, if God cares about all people in this way, we have to as well, and we have to deal with these topics, which is why we've talked so much about justice, what justice is, what justice means, you know, as as Justin talked about last week, right? I mean, as Christians here in Minnesota, what should we be concerned about? What should we care about? And we should. We should care about justice deeply. We should have justice be the lens through which we see all things. I mean, we, we need to be concerned about justice. And that idea in the Bible that we've seen, and we're going to read out of Job here today as well, the, the idea of justice that we've really emphasized so far in the sermon, in the sermon series thus far, is really coming out of this Hebrew word of mishpat. Or it's this idea of justice. It's really this, what we kind of think of as justice, giving people what's their due, like treating people rightly. That's justice, right? There's a wrong done, make it right. It's justice. Giving people what they need, what they should be. Treat them the way that they should be treated. It's justice. Especially the marginalized and those who have been hurt, those who have been mistreated need justice, right? They need to be treated rightly. Wrongs being righted. And we've looked at and talked about a lot of those things for the last several weeks. The ways in which people are mistreated, the areas within our culture and our society in which there is not justice being done, the various systemic forms, the ways in which our culture and society overlooks those things. And we've talked about this, especially within the criminal justice system, which is what Justin emphasized last week. And this is really important. It's important for us to deal with these things, to talk about justice on that scale, like systemic injustices and the need to put things right, the need to pass better laws, the need to change the way in which we do these things, we operate, we treat people. We need, we need to be confronted and we need to talk about that. But there is more to justice than just that, than just giving people their due. Right? And scripturally, there's a, there's a connection between just actions and justice as a person, or righteousness, as we would call it. Throughout the Old Testament, these two terms are always tied together, this righteousness and justice, or this, you know, tzedakah would be the Hebrew, but this, this, there's giving people what is their due, and God loves that. The Bible continually says that. God loves justice, to give people, to treat people fairly, to show justice, And he also loves righteousness. And he loves just lives. 
right? And you see this idea of, of a life of right relationships, not just actions, not just people getting what they deserve, but also people living lives rightly in right relationships to other people. So scholars talk about this as there's kind of two forms of justice in the Old Testament. There's primary justice and there's rectifying justice. And that's kind of what we see here. Our culture, and right now especially, seems to want to really focus on rectifying forms of justice, right? Actions that need to be done to rectify injustices that have been done, right? Like, this is doing justice. There has been a wrong committed, and we need to make it right. And that's good and incredibly important, right? But that's rectifying justice. Primary justice Right, primary justice is making oneself right. Being righteous or just in our relations with others. That we can't truly pursue justice in the world without pursuing justice in our own lives. Or the way scripture would talk about it, without being righteous. Right, that we need both. And that both are held together in a biblical understanding of what justice is. We do right actions to people as we also strive to be right ourselves and righteous as people. The Bible gives us really clear instructions and pictures of what this life looks like, and it's throughout the whole Old Testament, and in particular, the wisdom literature gives us this picture of the righteous life. What, is, what does it mean to do justice, right, from Micah throughout the Minor Prophets? Well, the wisdom literature shows us, and it gives us pictures of what it looks like to live a life of justice, to walk in the way of the Lord, to walk in righteousness, to do these things. And I don't think there's any better picture throughout the wisdom literature than, uh, than Job. Job is this man of righteousness. Job is the man who does these things that the Lord has required, right? All of these things are fulfilled by Job. If you look at, if you look at this passage together, it's in the handout. If you're Holman online, it's Job 29, 12 through 17, and then we'll jump ahead a little bit, a couple of chapters as well. This is Job speaking. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to help him, the blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me. And I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. That's a pretty amazing picture. In Job 31, 13 through 28, If I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they brought a complaint against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? If I have withheld anything that the poor desired or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel alone and the fatherless has not eaten of it, For from my youth, the fatherless grew up with me as with a father. And from my mother's womb, I have guided the widow. 
If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering, if his body has not blessed me and if he has not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gate, then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arm be broken from its socket. For I was in terror of calamity from God and I could not have faced his majesty." If I have made gold my trust, or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant, or because my hand had found much, if I have looked at the sun when it shone, or the moon moving in splendor, and my heart has been secretly enticed, and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an inequity to be punished by the judges, for I have been false to God above." picture that Job gives, right, of a righteous life is one of both just actions, right? He does the right things for the father, for the fatherless, for the widow, for the oppressed. He does what is right for them. But also, he is righteous with them. He cares for them. His concerns for them is not just what he does for them, but for their joy, for their well-being, for them to rejoice and find joy. Like that, That's not just someone who lives life doing the things that are required or fixing problems, but someone who is in relationship. I mean, look at these things. I've, he was... I'm with the fatherless from the time I came out of the wound. I have been caring for the fatherless. It's not a one-time thing. It's not an action that he has done, but it is his life, is a life of justice. When you look at that, I put on righteousness, right? I put on justice like a robe and a turban, right? It's his identity is what it is to do justice, it is day-to-day living, Live a, a type of life from day-to-day, moment-to-moment, in which a person conducts all relationships, all relationships, in their family, in their society, their culture, their, however those concentric circles go. It's every relationship is marked by justice. Every relationship is driven by fairness, generosity, equity. It's not just these big systemic changes. It's lives that reflect justice. Our culture has a lot of needs, right? I'm not trying to downplay the need to deal with systemic injustices, right? We've spent a lot of time talking about these needs, and they are needs that need to be addressed. Our criminal justice system, right, needs to be addressed. Our housing systems need to be addressed. Our policing, all of these ideas and things need to be addressed. But the world needs more than just rectifying forms of justice. Our culture and our world needs righteousness, desperately. We need righteousness right lives, right families, right communities, 
right cities where people have right relationships is the need. We need to take care of a lot of the systemic justice issues, but without right relationships, right, for what good? Where does it lead? Right relationships with God and with others. What we need is this righteousness that Job has, a righteousness that overflows into all spheres of our lives, every relationship that we have. We need justice as a garment, not as a series of actions. Justice, something that we actually put on, not just something that we do. Something that comes out of who we are, that's not just motivated by cultural trends or what people tell us to do, but actually come from our own conscience and heart and love of the Lord. When we see injustice, we rectify it because it's who we are. We can't not care for the poor, for the marginalized. But this is hard. Right? And I mean, there's obviously a tension here within a lot of this because we tend to prefer justice to stay at that mishpat level, the big justice level, the rectifying justice level. We, our culture likes it to stay there, and frankly, we like it to stay there as well. Because if it stays at just right actions or rectifying actions of justice, this is what it means to, be, to do justice, and we need to do these things. If it just stays there, it feels more manageable in some ways for some of us, right? Because it, it, it creates a clear list or something to do. Like, okay, I've been presented with an injustice. Well, let's fix that injustice and let's get going. You know, let's get on it and fix the injustices in the system and around us and, and let's do it. And that, that is a right desire and good and we should do those things. But we like it to just stay there, right? It gives us clear and easy enemies, people to blame, if it's the system or if it's individuals. Well, we can find the culprits of the injustice around us, and we can find the heroes or the people that we need to support who are going to fix that, those levels of injustice, and we can, we can do it. It gives us that, that list. But there's problems with this, right? There's problems with only doing it on that level, which we see. And mainly, it, it just doesn't work. Right? And I, Justin Terrell rightly kind of pointed that out, you know, of this cycle that is perpetuated through American history of the oppressed just kind of becoming the oppressor and switching sides or just, you know, this cycle of, you know, liberation or revolutions. But it doesn't fix anything, to have a revolution. You just now put a new person in power to oppress the other people for a while, and then it comes back. Or you can think of it as our political cycles, right? One party comes into power, <laughs> oppresses the other until they get their turn, and then they oppress the other. And you know, it's just that, that cycle of the bad guy, good guy, look for justice, do those things. It, it doesn't seem to bring it. Or if we look at, like, St. Clair, David St. Clair, where he came and talked about Detroit, the history of Detroit is great, city planning. You know, we end up a lot of times in this states that we're in, not with bad intentions. Like St. Paul School District in Minneapolis has some of the greatest racial disparities in the schools, right, in the country. Nobody on those school boards intended that. Right? 
in fact, they were intending the opposite. <laughs> but their policies and their decisions and what happened has led to it. Right? Like we, we oftentimes, if we just keep justice on only that level of here's the things to rectify injustice, we will do things but not always fix the injustice because we don't know what the unintended consequences of pursuing those things are. Or we get really married to those ideas and this has to be what it means to do justice. And then you look back in 10, 20 years and you say, oh, what have we been doing? If, it, if justice is only on that broad, big level of making systemic changes or of fixing problems in society, it's incomplete. It's important. It's necessary and it's good. But it's incomplete. It doesn't actually seem to produce communities that are better. It doesn't seem to produce people or relationships. And also, when it's just at that level, guilt is the primary motivator right, for what we do. Right? We get confronted by the truth of something, of some injustice. And it's right to be confronted, and it's right to feel that weight of conviction. That's what Justin was saying last week, right? Like, as Christians, we should feel convicted by the state of our criminal justice system and what happens. Like, that should not sit well with us of what happens within that whole process here in Minnesota. It's good to feel conviction. But if guilt is going to be the primary motivator in our lives for when we're going to do justice, right, it's going to look very much in spurts and starts and stops because I'm going to feel guilty and I'm going to do something right now until I feel more guilty maybe about this and then I'm going to shift to this one because I just don't like to feel guilty and I'm just going to keep moving or following whichever form of justice seems to promise me the best feelings of I've done something or I've done something meaningful. And we end up picking and choosing the type of justice we want to pursue. I don't know if, you're, if you've been catching that within our culture, right? But it seems like there's so many different types of justice. If it's food justice, that's become a big thing. If it's environmental justice, if it's racial, racial justice, if it's criminal justice. Like, you pick your justice. Whichever justice fits you best or you care about the most, that's going to be the justice I'm about. And you pursue those things. Or another option, and this would be true for many of us too, that we need to confess, right? Sometimes when it's just on that systemic level, it gives us an excuse for not doing anything because we say, well, I'm not a politician. I don't have any, oh, I'm glad I don't have to do what Justin Terrell does and lobby at the, oh, whew. it's all, it, that, that's a, yep, injustice, racism, you know, that's just a systemic thing that, yep, our country's dealing with, politicians are dealing with. Thankfully, we passed a lot of laws back in the 60s and 70s. It's been taken care of. Or, yeah, we're going to do some more policy stuff. That's great, and I'll support that. But I don't really have to do anything because what could I do anyway? You know, I don't have the time and capacity. I'm just in school. I'm just raising a family. I'm just working. I, you know, I understand and I know that there's injustice and there's justice efforts, but thankfully, it doesn't really apply to me too much, which is freeing for us. We like that. Some, and, and then sometimes we don't like that. <laughs> but a lot of times it gives us an excuse to not really care. 
I think another issue that makes it hard for us to really accept this picture that the Bible gives of justice being a day-to-day life and this all-encompassing kind of life is that it's really actually hard to believe that our day-to-day actually matters or the day-to-day interactions we have with people really do anything. Right? We, we tend to diminish it and think that's not enough, but that's not doing justice. I mean, unless you are lobbying at the Capitol, unless you are on the street, unless you are doing these things, raising your kids isn't a form of justice. You know, talk, how you talk to your neighbor has nothing to do with justice. You know, what, those, things, those, those things don't matter enough. They're not important enough to focus on. I've got limited time. I've got limited energy. I'm going to put it, my time and my energy towards big things. I think we, we believe that. We really believe that God honors the big stuff, but not the day-to-day things, and that we can get away with not caring about our day-to-day lives and interactions, the friendships we have at school, the friendships we have with neighbors, the way in which we interact with our own children, the way that we interact with our spouses, that none of that really has to do with justice. I can fight for justice and not have to deal with my day-to-day life, which really just leads to such inconsistency and hypocrisy right, within our lives, which we feel and our culture feels, right, where we care about justice, but then our lives are fairly shallow in our day-to-day interactions with others, and we don't really have the credibility Ultimately, within, within both of these, we really just become too easily satisfied with our own righteousness. We tend to think that whatever, wherever we're at on this spectrum, that we're doing a pretty good job at it, <laughs> that we're pretty good people in general. Um, Tim Keller, in his book, Generous Justice, uh, if you, that's, a, that's a good book. If you haven't read Generous Justice, I'd recommend that one. It's you know from a little while back, but... You know, he kind of, and we've talked about this thing before, I've used this illustration before, he talks about like the middle class and spirit. You know, it's probably the greatest hindrance to people caring about justice is that we're all fairly middle class. You know, because he said, like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? Those who really recognize, I have nothing. <laughs> I have no moral legs to stand on. I am not righteous. Right? I read the story of Job, and I think, no, I'm not Job. <laughs> I'm probably one of his friends that's trying to get him to like curse God, <laughs> but there's no way I could ever be Job, right? Like that's poor in spirit. But they said that what the problem for most of us, especially within the church, is we tend to be middle class in spirit. We read like the story of Job and we say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, I'm not righteous. Nobody's righteous. I get that. I can't save myself. I know that. I know Jesus had to finish it. I know Jesus had to do all that work for me. But you know what? I am pretty decent. <laughs> I'm doing a pretty good job. Like, I'm not that, I'm a pretty good husband. I'm a pretty good father. I'm a pretty good neighbor. I do care about people. I'm not that, like, there's bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not that. I'm doing pretty good. I'm not rich. It's just like with economics, right? Everybody claims to be middle class when they give that, like, census data, you know, and it's like, the whole country's not middle class, right? 
it's impossible. But everybody wants to be middle class, right? Because if I'm rich, well, then that comes with some expectations, and then maybe I need to be more generous. If I'm poor, well, then that shows I haven't really worked hard enough. But if I'm middle class, okay, see, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm just, I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty good. And spiritually, right, that's, that's our greatest problem with this justice stuff. We look at it and we say, you know what? Yeah, of course, I could be doing more. I could do a little more. But I'm doing a lot. I'm doing pretty good. And I'm always looking for more things I could do, sure. But I'm going to pick and choose the things that, that can fit within my life, that within my capacity, my time, and I'm going to do those types of things. What really flips the switch, right? Like, how do we get this life? How do we become a church? We're just people, right, that are actually care about justice, not just in a cursory way, not just in those fleeting cultural ways that jump from justice issue to justice issue. Like, how do we become clothed in justice? Like, how does it become our operating lens and identity? There's no other way than by receiving the righteousness of God for us. It, it doesn't work any other way, scripturally. It's the only way to do it. If we read Job and think, I either need to be Job or I'm doing a pretty good job of being Job, you're reading your Bible wrong. Like, it's not about you. We're never going to be Job. We were never intended to be Job. You can't. You can't do it. You've already failed living Job's life. I have not defended the fatherless since I was born. Right? I have not done these things. Right? No one does. There is no one righteous, even though we are required to be righteous. That's the conundrum. That's the problem. Right? The Bible says... You are to be righteous and love justice and do it. But none of us do. None of us are. No one will be. There is no one righteous. There is no one just except for one person, Jesus Christ, which is the good news of the gospel. No one has lived this life that we were supposed to live except for him. There has never been someone who is actually deserving of all of the awards and the praises that we desperately seek. Right? We all want to seem like we're pretty good people. <laughs> we all want to win some award, some medal, something that says, I did it. I'm righteous. I'm good. But none of us deserve it. And the only person who did deserve it right, came and he lived that life of justice. He cared for the poor and the marginalized. Jesus Christ, right, identified with them, dined with them. Right? He, he fulfilled this, prop, this picture of Job even better than Job, right? He was the only one. Easily could have set himself up as king. Everyone clamored for him to be king. He could have made the systems right, redid the laws of the Roman world, of the, of the Jewish world. He could have put everything right. Because he was deserving of it. But instead, he was the ultimate victim of injustice. Taking the punishment that we all justly deserve. Giving us credit for his righteous life. And like he flipped it.
completely. Right? That's the gospel. He lived the life we're all called to live, but he died for the lives that we actually live and then gives us the credit for that righteous life. The gospel really turns justice upside down in so many ways where you have the just is treated unjustly so that the unjust, those who are deserving of punishment and death, receive mercy who don't deserve it. And that power reversal, that grace and mercy changes everything. It changes our hearts. It changes our lives. When you receive unmerited mercy and forgiveness to that extreme, to that level, right, it changes us on a very fundamental level and place. It changes how I view my relationship to God. God loves me. He died for me. Nothing, I, 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 I have no legs to stand on. It changes my relationships with others, my children, my spouses, my, my spouse, my family, my neighbor, everyone. It changes how communities operate. There's no entitlement, right? But rather, there's just grace and there's mercy. And it changes how we are motivated and how we're empowered, right? If you, I mean, freedom and liberation as a motivation instead of guilt, is vastly different, right? Guilt motivates, and we've all been motivated by guilt. We're out of fear to kind of please or earn or do and afraid of what would happen if we don't. But out of freedom, whoa, right? That kind of motivation is sustaining, powerful, which is why, right? Like, it, it shouldn't be a shock that the greatest voices for systemic changes in our culture and our society and in the church, right, have experienced liberation and freedom from, from uh, addictions, from the justice system. From, like, they have received that freedom. They get it, right? It's when you receive freedom and you know you didn't deserve it that you want others to receive it. When you feel you've deserved what you have, right, if I think I've deserved the life that I have, that I've worked hard for this, I deserve my middle-class life, I'm going to expect other people to work hard for it too. And I'm not going to give them the same grace and love and mercy because I don't think they deserve it. I think they should just work harder, like I did. But... If you think that you can't work yourself to righteousness, sure, you may have worked to get your job. You may have worked to do a lot of things in your life, but you can't work yourself to God. He had to die for you. You were helpless in that estate, and he raised you up. When that gospel truth and reality starts to really impact us, not just from a like, okay, and I'm going to heaven, yay, but more that becomes the lens through which we view life and experience it, right? It really enables us to be honest. We can be quick to confess our sins. Like when we really get confronted by the Justin Terrells or various people of our systemic injustices, we don't have to be fragile. We don't have to be defensive. We can see it. We can hear it. We can be, oh, you're right. I, whoa, I can confess this. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that was going on. I don't have to be 
defensive or fight against it because my identity is not at stake. I can honestly see those types of things that are around. My reputation isn't at stake. I can also, I now also have this new sustaining spirit. I have the spirit in me that sustains me and helps me and drives me in these things. I'm not doing this on my own. I don't have to do justice on my terms, how I want to do it. God is the one who's doing justice, and he started with me. He, he worked justice in my life. He gave me undeserved mercy and grace, and that overflows in giving that same justice to others. And we can also, it enables us to be wise and discerning, too. I don't have to get so caught up in whatever the culture says is justice. You know, I don't have to get, I don't have to follow just these trend lines all the time and be, that's what justice means. No, I know what justice means. It means being in a right relationship with God and being in a right relationship with others, and especially the marginalized in my life. I should do that. Right? I, I, it doesn't matter so much. It's not about right, likes on social media or being in certain campaigns or showing up. Those things matter, but what really matters is my relationship with the Lord and my relationship with others. And if that's not just, those things, right, how can I do those things? Right? It's, it keeps us grounded. It helps us to have a foundation to do good works and to, adju- uh, to address these types of things. So really the need for us, and so really what we wanted to do here was to really expand our vision of justice because we need it expanded. We need to see justice is not just laws. It's not just rectifying systemic problems in our culture and our society. That's absolutely part of it. But justice ultimately too is with, starts within me and with my relationship with God and my relationship with others. And if I don't want to take that seriously, right, what am I doing on that broader level of justice. And if justice is hard for you, if mercy and compassion doesn't come easily, (laughs) right, I would urge you to really wrestle with that thought of being middle class in spirit. You know, do you really think you deserve God's love? (laughs) Do you really think you're that lovable? And you're really, you are a pretty good person, (laughs) right? Because you're not. And until you get to that place where you really recognize that you have received more love and mercy on a daily level than you could ever deserve, right, you will start to become a more generous person, a more just person. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you did not treat us the way that we deserved. Thank you, Lord, that you showed us such love and such mercy. Lord, thank you for making us righteous, for giving us the credit for your life. Lord, we thank you. We we will never fully comprehend the cost of our salvation, of what that meant for you to leave your heavenly home and to come to this earth to live the life that we were meant to live but to take on our guilt and our punishment. Lord, we long for the day when you come back and you make all things right. 
Lord, we thank you for the promise and the security that we have because of your resurrection, that we know that that day is coming and that all things are going to be made new and how you have started that work in us and given us that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Lord, thank you. Lord, we just pray that you will help us, strengthen us, convict us. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment. Help us to see where we are wrong, where we have overlooked the areas of justice in our lives, if they are on a broader systemic level, if they are on individual levels. Lord, help us. Help us to rely on you. Help us to seek after your wisdom. And Lord, help your gospel and your justice to really be the robe that we wear that really helps us to determine how we live with one another and the types of relationships that we have. Lord, strengthen us, guide us, and lead us as a church. For your namesake, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.